Please open your Bibles to Luke 7, excuse me, to Luke 14, 7 through 11. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 873. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, and then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. I had intended to mention that uh, Michelle and Eden are also going up with the guys uh, to the Boardwalk Chapel. If you're not familiar with it, um, I think it's boardwalkchapel.com or something like that, and uh, you can see a little bit about what they will be doing. Um, and uh, it's a great ministry. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord, we ask that you uh, would not only bless the reading of your word, but Lord, your pro- the proclamation of your word and your people's presence. Oh Lord, I ask that uh, you would uh, open ears, open eyes, open hearts, and uh, give us wills to obey as we delight in our Lord Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, I pray that you would be pleased with the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever considered that humility is essential for your Christian testimony? That humility is a spiritual fruit? Uh, It's not listed in the list of spiritual fruits in Galatians chapter 5, but it is every bit as important for your Christian testimony as any of the fruits in that list, even love. Solomon equated humility with the fear of the Lord in Proverbs 15.33. He said, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Paul listed it along other, alongside other fruits of the Spirit in Colossians 3.12. He said, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, verse 5, says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And there's one more passage that I will quote at length, but I'm saving it for the punchline of the sermon, so you have something to look forward to. 
You know, I am surprised how humility is often treated as an optional grace. You know, in many of the society churches, there, there appears to be a pecking order within the congregations. I don't get out uh, to visit on Sundays very much since I have other obligations. Uh, but I was raised in Georgia where you have the big stately churches uh, that occupy the uh, blocks surrounding the uh, town square. You know, the first this and the first that. And my experience was that many of those churches were governed more by moneyed interest than by the Bible. Humility was treated uh, often as an optional grace if it was not openly disdained altogether. So, will you be surprised to hear me state that you cannot be a Christian if your life is not characterized by humility. That's that's the point of Jesus' parable here at the dinner party that he was attending in Luke 14. Your humility will be far from perfect. Your humility will be mixed with that ugly, self-seeking pride. But your life will be characterized by humility nonetheless. And if you were a proud person, referring you back to First uh, Peter chapter five verse five, God will oppose you. You will you will remember from last week that Jesus had been invited to dine at the home of one of the prominent Pharisees. He was a ruler among the Pharisees, maybe a part of the Sanhedrin. There were several other Pharisees at this dinner party, and there was also uh, likely a contingent of town officials. Verse 1 says that they were watching Jesus carefully. However, unbeknownst to them, Jesus was actually watching them more carefully. Uh, Look at verse 7. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited. In other words, he's telling this parable to everyone. It says, now he had told this parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose their places of honor. So, while all the muckety-mucks uh, from the synagogue and from the town council, were jockeying for position, for the position of honor around the dinner table, Jesus noticed the dynamics in the room. While the Pharisees were looking closely at Jesus to see how they might snare him, Jesus is watching them. And he is able to see from their prideful actions what's going on in their prideful hearts. Typically, um, in the ancient Near East, the table would be low to the ground, and it would be in a U-shaped, and at the top of the, the bottom of the U, I guess, um, would be the head of the table. And the host would, would be there, and then um, the two places of most importance would be on the host's right and on the host's left. And as you went down the U, 
uh, it would descend in order of, of uh, importance so that uh, the closer you were to the, the host, the more social standing, the more importance uh, you would, you would uh, be seen to have. And so uh, the goal was among them to get closest to the host as one could get. Now, it's one thing to notice the social jockeying uh, that's going on in the room. It's another thing to point it out uh, to the entire party, but that's exactly what Jesus did. Verse 1, he told a parable to the entire dinner party, pointing out all the social climbing that was going on in the room. What if Jesus were the pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church? How eager would you be to have him over for a dinner party? Uh, This is not the first time Jesus called a commotion at a dinner party. Remember uh, when Jesus was invited home, he had been preaching during the day. And as he's preaching, one of the, the Pharisees invited him home for dinner. It's over in Luke chapter 11, verses 37 and it's a long passage, but I'll just read verses 37 through 40, and you'll get a sense of, uh, of Jesus' conduct at these dinner parties hosted by the Pharisees. Chapter 11, beginning with verse 40. I'm sorry, beginning with verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup uh, and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? And he goes on for several paragraphs. Calling down woes upon them, pointing out uh, that they love the best place in the synagogue. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's astonishing, really. Our Lord Jesus was willing to plow right through the social ni- niceties to seek a person's eternal salvation. He was willing to wound a person's pride in order to bring them to God. I cannot think of any social situation where I would do what Jesus did at these dinner parties. Um, But several of you uh, have found out that I will challenge you in private if need be. Now, that being said, if I've challenged you in private, you also know that I hit you with a feather duster uh, compared to the baseball bat that Jesus brings to the dinner parties. I want to make a, an, an application for Tim and uh, Dakota especially. Uh, you know, the Lord Jesus was bold and as he marched right into people's lives. And you're going to have an opportunity as you're marching up and down the, the boardwalk. Uh, typically, and I've been up there, typically with a whole lot of people from Philadelphia that are coming uh, over to the Jersey Shore for the weekend. You know, people from Philadelphia can be a bit uh, bold themselves. But uh, God is, is going to be calling you guys 
to go and meet total strangers and talk to, to them about the Lord Jesus. I will say, I lived in Philadelphia three years. I think they appreciate the boldness, and they will have those conversations with you. And so look to the Lord Jesus and his boldness here in these dinner parties as you testify to the Lord Jesus this upcoming week. Well, let's look at what Jesus told the dinner party in uh, our passage. Verses 8 through 10, Jesus said, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he uh, who invited you both will, will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. You know, there's some good advice here. Uh, Mandy and I watched the uh, Masterpiece uh, theater sitcoms. Uh, yes, we've, uh, like the progressive insurance commercials, we've, we've become our parents. Um, and we especially like those shows that depict English nobility during the 18th and 19th centuries. In these shows, um, there are these social balls. You know, whichever different sitcom you're watching, there's always going to be a social ball where the guest list is very carefully considered. Who is invited, who's not invited, is very important uh, to the plot line of that particular episode. And so if you're lower on the social ladder, you might try and invite someone higher than your place in society. And if that place comes... Uh, or if that person comes, then they pull you up the social ladder by their attendance. Or you might try and get an invitation to a ball that is above your station to improve your standing. And inevitably, uh, in these shows, somebody tries too hard to climb the social ladder and tries to climb it too fast, and they are greatly humiliated in front of all the social elite. This is basically what Jesus is saying. He said, don't do this. Um, don't be a social climber, but go sit in the lowest place so that when the host sees you, he moves you up to a higher position while everybody is watching. You know, we don't have places of honor here at Westminster Presbyterian. We don't have your names on the, the pews. No one owns this or that pew. Um, I think probably the, uh, the pews of honor here in this congregation are the back pews. You know, Presbyterians typically um, want to be as far away from the preacher as possible. But, um, you know, and I would hope that you would never, ever if you come in to sit at your regular place and someone is sitting there, maybe a new visitor, doesn't know that this is where you park yourself week in and week out, that you would never say to them, that's my seat, please move. But rather you, go seek, seek, seek to find 
the worst seat in the house uh, in order that others might get a better seat. So you could come sit down front on the front row so that others might have an opportunity to uh, sit where they, they would like. But uh, Jesus, he means more than simply teaching us about social etiquette. Uh, in fact, you know, he's not concerned with social etiquette. If that were his concern, he would not embarrass everyone by pointing out all the social climbing going on in the room, right? Nor is Jesus teaching the Pharisees how to put on a staged humility by taking the lower place and wait to be invited forward. In fact, verse 11 makes that very clear. Verse 11, Jesus concludes his little parable by saying, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What the Lord Jesus is doing here is he is addressing their spiritual condition. The Pharisees' problem was much deeper than poor social etiquette. They were self-seeking. What mattered to them was their public reputation. Jesus called them out on many different occasions. Um, I was complaining to my wife early this morning because I wanted to to include all the, the instances where Jesus is calling them out. But there were too many, and I had to, to cut them out and leave them on the editing, um, on, the, on, the, on the floor, essentially. But there were so many different times that Jesus called them out. Uh, I will mention a couple. He said to them, Woe to you, Pharisees! You love the best seat in the synagogues, and you love the greetings in the marketplaces. Uh, Near the end of Luke, I think it's Luke 20, he warned the people about their religious pretense, saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. You know, I think it was a major consideration. Um, with, or This was a major consideration with their legalistic external obedience that Jesus uh, called out so often. They wanted to be seen by others. You know, we talk about them building a hedge around the law so they wouldn't accidentally break the law. I think they built an external system of religion so that they could be seen obeying the the external um, areas of obedience. And everybody would think of them as these holy people. They would have more recognition. They would have more power. Kent Hughes says that the Pharisees despite all their God-talk and religious posturing, were a selfish, self-seeking, ambitious lot. Here's the spiritual danger. If you are selfish, self-seeking, and ambitious in your heart, it will not only affect how you act at social functions, but it will also drive how you relate to God. You cannot be driven by pride as you relate to others. 
and humble towards God. Uh, who you are drives you in both directions. In your relationship with God and in your relationship with others. And I'll repeat myself from, from early in the, in the sermon. As a Christian, your humility, be, your humility will be far from perfect. It will be mixed with ugly, self-seeking pride. There's not a one of us who escapes it. Your pastor doesn't escape it. Your pastor struggles with ugly, self-seeking pride. But at the same time, if you belong to Christ, your life will be characterized by humility nonetheless. The Pharisees' heart, however, was not mixed. It was focused only on themselves. And they approached others with a pretense and a staged religious humility. And they approached God with their supposed virtues, with their religious observance, and the deeds that were only done to be seen by others. But God, like the Lord Jesus at this dinner party, is able to see through their outward actions and see their hearts. You know, I've, I've been benefiting from these, um, these devotions in Isaiah and a couple of different ways. Uh, in chapter 1, you know, God says, I hate your religious observance. I, I don't listen to your prayers. Your hands are full of, are, are, are covered in blood. You know, I, I don't even want to, I, I detest your, your religious observance. And, um, and they continued to be religious hypocrites in spite of Isaiah's warning, right on down to the Lord Jesus continued on even through his warnings. And then uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 6 through 22, uh, Isaiah says, if, if you are haughty, God will bring you low. I think he says he'll bring you low like four or five times in, in that short passage. And he says that... Uh, Relying on men, whether it be your great army, whether it be your riches, whatever it might be, um, when you rely on those things, you're not trusting the Lord. You're being prideful. And he says in verse 22, Isaiah 2, 22, don't regard men. And included in that is don't regard yourself. Jesus does not want self-focused pride. In the Pharisees, he doesn't want self-focused pride in his people either. Jesus wants humility in his people. You know, I think of all the times that I'm tempted to write my sermons to please you or to impress you. And such pride is so ugly when it rears its head in my heart. I think I do as much praying. I think, frankly, I'll, I'll tell you, I do more praying about my own heart in my sermon preparations than I do praying that you would hear my sermons. I think of Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 17, where it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven 
that are, that are an abomination to him. And the list of those seven things that God hates, the, the one he starts with first is haughty eyes. Christians are not immune from, the, from pride and from the soul-damaging effects of pride. Pride calls us to have a distorted view of ourselves. It calls us to have a distorted view of the reality around us. It even causes us to have a distorted um, view of how we're to relate to God. Um, Some of us refuse to admit uh, sinful actions because they can't bring themselves to admit that they are flawed. Others serve God as their chief motivation to be seen by others. And we could go on and on. Pride is so pervasive and is so subtle and is so deeply uh, woven into our hearts and continual repentance, continual dying to self is what it's called for. There is no place for pride in a Christian's life. We are sinners only saved by grace alone. At our best, we are, we are undeserving of God's salvation. We are unworthy of his love. Only those who put their trust in, in the mercy of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross will be saved. Or as Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standings, standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble, noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We could look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We could look at uh, uh, Romans chapter 3, and it calls us not to, it tells us do not boast in yourself. There's only one thing the Bible says we can boast of, and that's that we know God. enter into God's glory, you must first go down in humility. I quoted 1 Peter 5, 5 earlier. I'll um, continue with verse 6, uh, going back up to, to 1 Peter 5, 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. What is this proper time that Peter mentions? Well, it's the final judgment. You may be certain, when you humble yourselves and you place yourselves, place your ambitions, place your future, place your life, under the mighty hand of God, you will be exalted. You may not be exalted in this life, but you will be exalted by King Jesus in front of the whole audience of heaven on the day of judgment. 
I love that picture in Matthew chapter 25. The people are, are visiting um, the sick. They're visiting the people in jail. And Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. And the, the people are like, who, me? And, and uh, they've humbled themselves and they're serving the Lord Jesus not for their reward. They're simply serving the Lord Jesus because they love him, they love his people, they love his gospel, and they're surprised when they're exalted. Such was their humility. Humbling yourself, dying to your ambition, and maybe even saying no to your dreams and desires to serve Christ will likely cause you to miss out on many things you would otherwise have here in this life. But think about your exaltation that you will receive from Jesus himself with all the crowds of humanity surrounding the throne of God. And Jesus says, enter into your, your rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. Think about that compared with the things of this world that are going to pass away anyway that you might miss out on because you have humbled yourself before King Jesus and are serving him selflessly. Our Lord Jesus... He's not calling us to something he wasn't willing to do. Our Lord Jesus humbled himself. He set aside all the the privileges that were his because he was God the Son. He did not set aside his deity, but he made himself nothing in order that he might share in our humanity. And then after taking on weak human flesh like us. He went lower still. He went to the cross. He became obedient to death, even that shameful and awful death upon the cross. But as he went down, down, down in humility, it resulted in his glorious exaltation. I'm right on the cusp of concluded, but concluding, but I want to read to you from uh, Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to start with um, verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let me underscore that. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what did God do in response to that humility and obedience of the Lord Jesus? Verse 9, therefore God has exalted, has highly exalted him and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. The beginning of humility is you going to the Lord Jesus, the King of humility the glorious king of humility, and trusting, entrusting yourself to him. Lord Jesus, you call me to a life of suffering? Yes, Lord, I will obey. Lord, you call me to a life of giving up things that I love? Yes, Lord, I obey. Because our Lord Jesus gave himself on the cross that we might have life in him, that we might have the glorious adoption into God's family. There is no real humility without the Lord Jesus. That's why he called those disciples, or called those Pharisees over and over uh, and again uh, to himself when he called them to humility. The lower you go in humility, the lower you go in your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the higher you will be exalted by our Lord Jesus on the day of judgment when he is giving out his rewards to his people. Your humility is like a rock on a catapult. And as you trust in the Lord Jesus, as you say no to yourself, as you... Make yourself nothing that he may be everything. That rock is being ratcheted down in humility. But on the day of judgment, it will be cut loose. And the trajectory of your exaltation will be higher than you can imagine. Believer in the Lord Jesus, don't be satisfied with simply getting into heaven. Don't be satisfied with simply having eternal life. Serve the Lord Jesus in humility, and he will exalt you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your humility in our behalf. We thank you that you were obedient even to the point of cross, of, of dying on the cross. Lord, I ask that you would help us in humility to submit to you in everything, even to the, the hard and difficult providences that you often call your people to. Lord, I think of those, uh, those martyrs um, underneath the throne who gave their lives for their testimony to the Lord Jesus and the humility it must have taken for them to say no to their lives that Jesus might be everything. Oh, Lord, they will receive and have received a glorious reward.
Lord, help us to serve you in humility, in obedience, and in a uh, pride-denying love, we ask in your name. Amen.